0: Welcome to Issue 9 of Scout and Birdie.
1: Breathe.
0: I'm Jennifer Keel.
1: And I'm Anna Wolf.
0: So we chose Breathe as our theme because it kind of seems like the calm before the storm of the holiday season, before we have to go home and you have to put a lot of thought into purchasing presents for some people or doing travel arrangements. It kind of is the last moment that you get to focus on yourself for a little bit and just be with yourself.
1: Yeah, and it's it's interesting because um, in the Jewish holidays, this is like the first month where there aren't a million holidays going on every week. Um, and so it's sort of the calm after the storm of like, <laughs> oh my goodness, like the months of just holiday after holiday after holiday are done. And now we can just sort of get back to like our normal regular life.
0: Which is so needed. I feel like if you're in school right now, this is the first time you have a vacation in mm-hmm. a while. You get a little bit of a break with Thanksgiving and you've kind of settled into a routine. So you need that kind of breaking up of the schedule a little bit.
1: Oh Yeah, definitely. Midterms happen around this time and then you just get to like be done for a second, mm-hmm. which is a good feeling. I feel like Thanksgiving to me is such a like easy holiday, like a time to breathe.
0: Uh, yeah. It's my favorite holiday.
1: I love it a lot too.
0: I love any holiday that's surrounded around food. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> food needs to be the main focus.
1: Yeah. Thanksgiving is like one of the few holidays where all you do is eat. There's no, there are traditions, but they're not necessary.
0: And I think for me, Thanksgiving has become more of a holiday I spend with friends So it becomes so much about the family that you choose to Mm -hmm. me. And I think that's how it is for a lot of people in Chicago because a lot of us are from outside of the state or the city and we're not going to travel all the way back for a one-day holiday.
1: Yeah, and even if you are um, traveling for Thanksgiving, a lot of people do Friendsgiving in this month too. And Mm -hmm. it feels like it's a nice time where people take a moment to like assess their chosen family and and connect and connect and see each other when the weather has started to change and people have started to feel maybe a little bit less happy than they were feeling during the summertime yeah
0: it's when you have to start making an effort to see people is november
1: yeah honestly (laughs) this is sort of like scout and birdies friendsgiving yeah (laughs) we have a lovely issue lined up with really talented artists
0: and we're so excited to take you right into it so please enjoy.
1: Breathe. Okay, first off, we have Rosamond Lannan. And I know Rose um, from the show that she co-hosts, Miss Spoken, um, that she. Host along with Jasmine.
0: Yeah, Jasmine Davila, who was in our Be Kind Rewind issue.
1: It's a really wonderful show um, that if you're in Chicago, you should definitely go check it out.
0: Yeah, I loved watching that show when you were in it. It's wonderful to have a show that's just all ladies. Mm -hmm. I think it's a rarity, so I'm glad they create that space for people in Chicago.
1: Just ladies doing live lit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm.
0: So we're really excited to share with you Rose's Peace, Fresh Air.
2: As a young goth, I liked to proclaim an angry neutrality for the outdoors. Trees are fine, I guess, I'd sneer. But put me in the city. I don't need anything but concrete. I had all the world-weary cynicism of someone who free chili fries at embers at 2 a.m., but I believed it. All I needed was gray and hard. Nothing but buildings and sidewalks for me, please. I'm happiest when there's not a shrub in sight. Trashing trees made me sound tough and uncaring, the cool girl I wanted so desperately to be. But if you scratched my surface, publicly hating nature was one of my many attempts to hide a soft and squishy center. I wore giant, heavy boots "'velvet coats, and a rotating wardrobe of black, "'even in the dead heat of Minnesota summer. "'It was uncomfortable, but I was committed. "'This is what I told myself "'as sweat ran down the crack of my ass. "'I wasn't like those shallow people "'in their shorts and t-shirts. "'I understood on some level "'that they never would, "'that the world was a bleak and gloomy place.' Ironically, I did have some hard areas in my life, like actually hard areas. A rough family life, crippling anxiety, rock-bottom self-esteem. But it was easier to say fuck flowers than acknowledge something as unromantic as everyday pain. And there was some truth in my adolescent boast. I do like cities. I love them, in fact. I was born in a city. I live in a city. I will probably die in a city. My biological clock continues its soft tick but it has not yet occurred to me to move to the suburbs. If anything, thoughts of the future only strengthen my desire to be where houses are close and life pulses. My reasoning is not so different than people who flee for Naperville or Schaumburg when they find themselves with a child. I want my kid to grow up how I did. I don't have this kind of certainty about much else in the physical world. Restaurants close, neighborhoods change, temperatures rise and rise. I read a headline in the New York Times telling me that more permafrost than thought may be lost as planet warms, reminding me that there are greater things at stake than my Midwestern metropolis microcosm. There are seismic shifts more far-reaching than being priced out of northwest Chicago. My nature snubs continued into college. I don't get why anyone likes to live by the lake, I'd scoff. I mean, it's nice, but like, who cares? And yet, during my third week at school, I swam in Lake Michigan in the early hours of the morning, ducking my head under the waves in an attempt to understand the invisible forces that made them crash. That night remains one of the most magical experiences of my life. I told no one about bobbing buoyant in the moonlight, then stumbling home cold and elated. Couldn't blow my cover. Being into the outdoors didn't line up with how I saw myself. Dark. Troubled. Complicated. Fun in the sun was for douche bros and sorority babes. People with small brains who didn't read books. I mean, probably. But a few years later, my boyfriend asked if I wanted to go swimming. I don't really do pools, I demurred, but okay. The sun was blinding and the water was clear. It was cleaner and prettier than I had expected. A rec center pool that wouldn't have looked out of place on an old postcard. I slid in and held my breath and remembered that, oh, I love to swim. I came up gasping, suddenly and secretly in love. Climate change seems like it's been an issue pretty much forever. I remember reading about it as a kid, though back then they called it global warming. Now it's understood that it's not just warming, but weather extremes. Really hot and really cold and really bad at some point, as far as living creatures are concerned. I want my kid to grow up how I did, with buildings and buses and trees and a planet to call their own. But that pool, that pool was a gateway drug. We went to beaches in Indiana and mountains in Los Angeles, and eventually Hawaii, where his retired parents now lived. Hawaii, the ultimate nature level up. By that point, I'd come a long way from my pale disdain for growing things. I'd packed sneakers and a sports bra, which was clothing suitable for outdoor activities. It felt like a very big deal, planning to be outside. I was ready. His dad took one look at me and said, maybe we should do one of the lighter trails. He chose Makapu Lighthouse Trail, a gently sloping two miles just off the kalani Highway. It's low impact and high reward, which means lots of panoramic vistas, but you don't sweat that hard. He chose well. Hawaii is tropical and stunning, a paradise of mountain and ocean. There's color everywhere, and the breeze is soft. Mangoes and avocados grow on trees, and they're like the really good kind— not the weird, stringy guys you get at the grocery store to make a sad winter guacamole. I am not exaggerating when I say Hawaii is heaven, or at least very close. We drove to the base of the mountain and started up the paved path. Along the way, we passed a short, stocky blonde, surrounded by Asian tourists, who I would later learn was Dog the Bounty Hunter's wife. By later, I mean my future father-in-law said, "'Hey, that's Dog the Bounty Hunter's wife,' But I missed it because I was too bowled over by surreal natural beauty. The whole way up, thoughts burst in my head like Plumeria. Green. Everything is very green. This is so beautiful. Oh my god. Everything in our world is connected by the delicate strands of the web of life, which is a balance between the forces of destruction and the magical forces of creation. That last one is from Fern Gully, and I didn't actually think that, but I kind of did. Had I turned into some kind of tree hugger? Hell yeah! I wanted to do more than hug it. I wanted to make out with the big monster plants, get real weird with the windward coast. Hawaii hit me right between the eyes. It knocked me out, clearing my head of any remaining pretentious cobwebs. I put one foot in front of the other, drinking in the low-growing plants, the old, red-roofed lighthouse, the truly amazing view of Cocoa Head Crater. When we got to the top, I stopped for a minute. The heat beat down, making me feel both sleepy and incredibly alive. My limbs swung weightless as I surveyed the teal ocean, which broke into white surf at the edge of the land. And by the time we returned to the base of the mountain, I no longer thought nature was for assholes. There will always be pretentious types in comfortable sandals who act like they're above the tenets of human civilization while benefiting from it greatly. But fortunately, nature is democratic about its fan base accepting reformed goths and tiva wearing pseudo-Russos alike. Or more accurately, nature doesn't care. It's going to do what it's going to do, whether you like it or hate it or don't really bother with it. In the end, an end that I hope comes as late as we can make it, our opinions are less important than our actions. The last morning on the island, I stood outside the house with my boyfriend's uncle and father. It was a beautiful morning. It was always a beautiful morning. They were talking about climate change. I was wearing pajamas because it was warm enough to do that. The trade winds played over my legs. His uncle says that the big animals are going to be the first to go. I say something back about how we have to take steps to stop it, sounding weak and lame, and he replied that we can't stop people from trying to live their best lives. I don't say anything back to that because I don't have a good answer. I don't want to leave my kid a garbage dump, but desire is not a long-term solution. So I love nature now, but I try not to act like a sophomore back from his parent-sponsored walkabout in Thailand. I read about our warming world. I work to reduce my carbon footprint. I think about people trying to live their best lives. I fell for the outdoors later in life, but better late than nothing, I tell myself. Better late than never. I hope we're not a May-December romance, nature and me. I want it to be around so long after I'm gone, so long after whoever comes after me. So I slide on my outdoor clothes and pray for a someday spring.
1: Okay, next up we have Tayana Anumanu. And Tayana is this awesome poet and spoken word artist uh, that I met at this recent reading that we were at together And she told me that she's working on um, her her memoir in the form of a poetry mixtape. Which is so cool. It sounds so exciting. Whenever she talks about it, so when that's out, we'll for sure let you
0: all know about it. She is such a wonderful presence to be around. Very calming. Very calming. uh, And I think you will very much enjoy her poem, "The Cleansing Breath."
3: How long will you occupy the space in between my inhalations and exhalations? Flashes of bliss and anguish filtered through eyes wide aberrations of you. I feel now as I felt then, trapped. Lodged in between a whimper and a moan I wish to swallow But unactualized moments are lodged in my throat I'm always left with the aftertaste of a love unfurled I don't mind the chase But I never catch more than my own tale I tell tall tales to myself With my tongue stuck between my teeth It seems this love was not constructed for the meek It seems this love was not constructed for the bold. I wish not to asphyxiate on the greatest lie ever told. I wish only for the cleansing breath of catch and release. I wish only for finality to grant me peace. I wish only to breathe again with ease.
1: Hello, we're here with my good friend Ryan Deffitt who is the lead singer of his band, Faux First. Hi, Ryan. Hey, Anna. (laughs) Thanks so much for being here with
4: us. (laughs) Thanks for having me on. It's good to be here.
1: And I know Ryan uh, very well because for, like, two years we practically lived together. Um, Ryan was dating um, my college roommate, and we spent so much time together um, with hilarious shenanigans and
4: tons of time. You know too much about me, I think. I
1: think I know a lot of stuff. I'm going to keep this interview very, um, talking about the band and not talking about all of our wild memories together. We'll do that on
4: another one. Yeah,
1: that'll be a different (laughs) issue. Mm -hmm. So Ryan, when did Faux Furs uh, form?
4: Um, It is kind of a funny story. We all were playing separately. And then, so Ryan, our drummer, there's two Ryans in the band. (laughs) Uh, I met him at a party. It was like a work party. We were like, this is dumb. Like, I don't care about work. I don't want to talk about work. That's all anybody does here. And we started talking about different things that we liked. We realized we both played music and liked a lot of the same artists. And we were like, hey, man, let's, you know, jam sometime. And I had a couple songs written at that point, and I took them to him. He liked them. We eventually played uh, some shows in my house. Um, We lived on top of this recording studio, and it was pretty cool. Uh, They would have, like, nobody lived underneath us, and they wouldn't record nearly every day, let alone the weekends. So there were plenty of nights where we would have these big raging parties, and we would play music at them. And he and I started playing together there. At that house, I lived with our current guitar player, Adam. And so we were playing together kind of naturally, uh, And we had a bunch of iterations of different bands. And then we I started writing a bunch of songs. We started playing more together. And somebody asked us to play a Halloween show. And that's really what kicked it off. Because yeah. we were like, Michael, come play this Halloween show. You've been playing with us, too. Um, for the Halloween show, we were still called Space Gators. But <laughs> that's because nobody could think of anything better. And... We spent probably, like, two weeks throwing names at each other. And finally, we all agreed on faux furs. (laughs) Um, Yeah.
0: It's amazing. I remember Anna and I throwing around names for this project, even. It took us months and months, I would say. Like, that was the longest part. And once you have the name, you feel like, okay, I'm ready now. (laughs) Yeah,
4: and then (laughs) later on, you're like... You know, I've run into so many bands with such cool names, and I'm like, wow, this name is really bad.
0: <laughs>
4: I mean, it's fine. You it know. works. You Alliteration.
1: A, yeah. I like faux furs. I think it rolls I like off it a ton too. nicely. Yeah,
4: I think so. It's not uh, as that Monty Python sketch said. It's a woody word, not, not very tinny. It's, <laughs>
1: Definitely. It stays in your head well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's easy to remember and recall. <laughs> so you write the songs for the band, right? Yeah. So how do you take like the initial thought and start working it for this specific band
4: so a lot of times a song will come to me without obviously just like without any kind of warning that's how creativity happens Mm. right it's fleeting it just happens all of a sudden um a lot of times i'll sing it to myself a million times so i don't forget or i'll record it on a voice memo Mm.
0: and
4: then It's happened where I record these songs acoustically and then bring them to the band and all of a sudden this little acoustic, like maybe it was kind of a chill, you know, like bedroom pop song, Uh, all of a sudden when Ryan starts playing drums on it, totally changes the vibe. It becomes this like raucous, you know, jamming rock and roll song and our pedals come into the mix. And at that point, it's really a band effort more than like, I've written this song, but To make it our song, everybody does put in, like, their own flair. That's what makes Faux Furs, Faux Furs.
1: Mm. Is there, like, a specific theme or topic that you feel like you deal with a lot in your work with Faux Furs?
4: Yeah, I mean, I guess most of the writing has, like, a political tinge to it. Or not even political, but just, like, an awareness, I guess, about it. You know, if you look into the lyrics, that's always been my favorite part of pretty much all the music I listen to you know you can hear a good song but for me if the lyrics are generic it just kills it right away for me Mm -hmm. Uh, but then I don't know how I distinguish between writing a song let's say for my solo project versus for faux furs other than the fact that I know what instruments and what like hardware and tools we have with faux furs. And with myself, I usually keep it more laid back, stripped down, like on the acoustic side of things.
0: The unplugged version.
4: Yeah. (laughs) Cool.
0: (laughs) So this song
1: that we're going to hear after this is called Robot Love. Um, How did you find inspiration for this song, go about bringing it up with the band?
4: Man, I'm trying to remember exactly when this song came about i feel like it was just kind of on like walking on the way to work or something i don't know like a melody gets stuck in your head mainly it's inspired by kind of this psychedelic like surfy kind of tone like older like 60s pop when like the pop still was kind of psychedelic and i think we're kind of getting back into that nowadays Mm -hmm. but that's been like a staple of my writing and it kind of shines through with that song. And I always wanted to write a song called Robot Love. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what it was going to be yet. Uh, I wanted it to at first be about how people are so in love with their robots. But then I was like, well, what if the song's about a robot falling in love? And that's what it ended up becoming. <laughs> uh you know, I said... Uh, usually my lyrics are like socially aware I guess it's the fact that the robot can fall in love you know like why should we decide whether or not a robot can actually fall in love the robot's the one who really feels it and like it's saying from the perspective of the robot so if you want to dig down those lyrics <laughs> you can I think it's, it explains itself pretty well And, like, I guess we are a bunch of robots if you get down to the nitty-gritty, so.
1: Just a (laughs) bunch of robots in love. (laughs) Yeah, we are. Yeah. (laughs) So if someone listens to Robot Love and loves it and wants to listen to more of your music or figure out when you have a show coming up, hear more about the band, what should they do?
4: They can listen to it on Spotify. All our stuff's on there. And (laughs) Apple Music and all the fancy places you can usually find music like Napster, Limewire. <laughs> uh and you, we always post stuff on Facebook updates, Facebook, Instagram. Instagram's a little more goofy. <laughs> if you want to follow our like tours or whatever, we always have videos. We did a live video of us in Toronto like tossing dice at night. <laughs> yeah. You know, people walked by and thought we were crazy. Cuz we fun. are.
1: <laughs> Those kids tossing dice. Yeah. Classic. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So people can go onto Instagram, Faux Furs, and check out that video and other yeah. videos.
4: Yeah. Oh yeah. It's just Faux Furs, two Rs. Two R's. F-U-R-R-S. <laughs> it's the only one I think. So
3: Amazing.
1: Thank
0: you so much for being here with us, Ryan. <laughs>
4: Thanks for having me on.
0: <laughs> Rye Guy. <laughs>
4: <Get a banana>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now sit back, relax, and enjoy the faux furs and robot love. Next up, if you're flipping through the issue on scoutandbirdie.com, you'll see some photography by our good friend, Ola Klimchuk. You'll remember Ola from our Roots issue where they shared some of their poetry. And on this issue, they're sharing a collection of photos. And it's it's an interesting
1: story how you found these photographs, Jen, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Ola was getting ready to move to North Dakota. So I was at their going away party And they were giving away some of their photography. And there were these beautiful pictures that they had taken from traveling through different parks. And then one of them is from their time in Poland. And I thought, these are so beautiful. And they would be beautiful as a collection. So I curated five of them. And so that's what you'll be seeing in the issue online.
1: Uh, They're definitely worth checking out. So make sure you head on to Scout and Birdie and check out. Uh, ola's lovely photography
0: and next up in the podcast portion of the issue is ariel marion
1: i met ariel at um actually the same event that i met tiana at was a lovely night and (laughs) we all got drinks together after and ariel actually was the one who brought us all together um she's so lovely yeah she's like a curator of friendship (laughs) Um, And then we got to talking, and I got to hear some of her beautiful poetry and her writing, and she is a really wonderful writer and a lovely friend curator. (laughs) So we hope you enjoy her piece, The Women I've Loved and Lost.
5: The first love I lose to a yellow taxi. We run along the Rhine River in Germany, stopping only to gaze at the wildflowers. We hike up the steps to El Duomo in Florence, looking down at the blanket of orange rooftops. I watch her make her first snow angel at age 26 in Switzerland. I am 18. Tonight we go to a discotheque. She is drunk, and though I have never tasted alcohol, I think this means she needs someone. I take her home in a cab and open my mouth to say goodnight, but instead I feel her lips on my neck. I feel shy, unable to tell her that I am not gay, but I've forgotten how to breathe. Why am I thinking of the way she danced on a mountaintop, her bleached blonde hair brighter than the snowy sky? For days, I agonize over wanting to kiss her, and when I do, I think I hear her whisper, I fucking love you. Her imaginary words escape into the sky. We try on love this way for two years. By the end of it, I will start calling myself a lesbian. The last time she visits me, she is distant, and I'm afraid that we don't have what we once did. We pass notes back and forth to one another in my school library because she says she needs silence to work on her thesis. I tell her that she doesn't love me anymore. She says, no, you don't love me. I consider it and say maybe I don't. She grabs her things, races towards my apartment, and demands I open the door. I ask her to stop and plead that she talk to me, but she insists. I open the door. She immediately packs her bags and asks me to call her a cab. I ask her to wait, but again she insists. I'm yelling now. Stop. What are we doing? Please, let's talk. She presses her lips against mine to soothe my anger. Her taxi is here. I watch her get in, and I watch the driver take her away. A week later, I call her, and she asks me why I didn't follow her. A year later, she calls me drunk to tell me I broke her heart. The peaceful love I lose in Penn Station. As we sit and drink tea on her off-campus terrace, I share with her my monsters and tell her that I want an Alice in Wonderland tattoo on my thigh. Alice is the Red Queen. She has only to defeat herself. She calls me a philosopher, and later that evening kisses me in her bedroom. A week later, I find out she is 14 years my senior, but we date anyway because I think I have already started to love her. She takes care of me. She walks me to my psychiatrist appointments stays with me when my meds keep me from sleeping, and makes me Pakistani-style chai with paratha. We try on love this way for 10 months, until it is time for her to move back to Pakistan. I leave first and can't stand being apart from her, so I ask her to come to New York to be with me. After a few days, I drop her off in Penn Station and cry openly on the subway back to my best friend's apartment. Two years later, my grandmother lays dying And the love I lost in Penn Station is back in the US, ready to hop on a plane to visit me. She is visiting with friends in Boston. I expect she will call once she's booked her flight. Instead, she calls me in tears, gulping for air. She arrives back home in time to prepare her father for burial. Two weeks later, my grandpa passes away. A week ago, my peaceful love called and asked me to visit. I imagine she is lonely the love I lose because I thought we were different. I stand, leaning against the brick exterior to a pub one town over from me. She walked up to me and saw me reading with my leg propped up. I remember the dangly earrings she wore and the new drawstring pants that I helped her remove later that evening. We spent the weekend together, mostly cooking, sleeping, and making love. Once, we walked to the lake and in the dark I read to her, I cried the morning I thought I might never see her again, and before she left, we talked about all of the things we hoped we could do together one day. We called it our Hope List. She and I go to the Women's March together in Chicago. We make signs and hold hands. We both thought it meant something. Barely a week later, I confess to her that it's not the right kind of love we share. It's hard to admit to her that I'm leaving her because I love someone else. The girl with the rectangle garden. But I do, and she'll hate me for it for a while, and then one day, she'll see me riding my bike and ask if we can catch up sometime. Later, after she has applied a noticeable amount of perfume, we'll meet at my neighborhood bar, and she'll say that she likes it there. The love I lose and her tears stain my shirt. Our first date lasted 24 hours, and in the morning, I asked her if we'd be friends if things between us didn't work out. She laughed at me and said she didn't know. Together, we try on love in the back seat of my navy blue Jeep at the top of an empty parking garage. It's lightning. We try on love together in Palmer Square Park as we lay in the grass and daydream about bike riding together and going away for a weekend to my grandmother's lake house. Together, we try. Our days include errands like going to plant nurseries and hardware stores, where I take her to pick up the wood for her garden bed she later refers to this as her rectangle. In the evenings, we share cigarettes and talk into the morning. Watch as the words come out of our mouths, not in arcs, but rather in a series of shapes: a triangle, a circle, a square. There are closed phrases, not leaving room for attachment or conversation. This is where I live now, in between shapes. She utters shapes that have opened and closed around mine. She and I speak rectangles and circles. I somehow love the asymmetry of our language, and I love her rectangle tongue. We look like lovers, or I think we do, and I never say it out loud that I love her. I never say it until the last time she comes over to my apartment. She meets my neighbor and waits with me while I call the power company because I forgot to set up the electricity when I moved. I break up with her, because that is the only logical thing to do when you love someone who can't love you back. We cry gross tears, and she offers me her shirt sleeve. It's the only time I ever see her cry. And that feels so fucking sad. It's Saturday in mid-September, which means in three days I'll have missed her birthday twice. I nuzzle my hips into the wooden steps behind my house, my back against the brick, my feet between the slots and the railing. It's my makeshift porch for pondering. I inhale tobacco and exhale my disbelief. Perched on my pondering step, I inhale hope and exhale all of the women I've lost. I pick loose tobacco off of my tongue and tap the remainder of the cigarette into my late grandmother's ashtray. I leave burnt remnants in the glass bowl, my hands now empty, though the smell lingers. I keep mementos from all of my lovers, a scarf, a few photographs, some books, and a hope list. And I wonder, what will I dream of for the next two years?
0: All right. Next up, we have Charlotte Hamilton. And you'll remember Charlotte from our very first issue, First Impressions.
1: Where she was the very first piece. Ever. Oh, Oh, it feels like such a long time ago.
0: It does. It was, well, nine issues ago. So.
1: Wow. (laughs) And every time we get to work with Charlotte, it's so nice because she is the loveliest, honestly.
0: And Charlotte is currently working on a play which will be featured in Rhino Fest later this year. So we'll be sure to tell you guys more about that as we hear more of the details. You
1: can catch us there.
0: So we'll take you into Charlotte's piece.
1: Things I'm afraid of.
6: Things I'm afraid of, death, obviously, people I don't know, people I know too well, too many people in one place, infestation, confrontation, religion to a certain degree, getting caught up in a cult, too much sun, cancer of any kind, toxic shock syndrome and therefore tampons, the feeling of being afraid, being at a social event where I don't know anybody, public speaking, though I do it anyway, Letting down my cats. Rodents, especially those that are small enough to run up a pant leg. Being poked in that divot area in the front of my neck. Getting a thyroid condition that makes it so that a doctor will have to poke their finger in that divot area on the front of my neck to feel for the thyroid. Eggplant, possibly. Too much alcohol and the effects thereof. All of the illicit drugs except maybe marijuana. Unregulated marijuana, mostly only when one is in their late teens, early 20s, when it is more likely to trigger a psychotic break, even though I'm past my 20s. Secondhand smoke. Untethered knives. Paper cuts. Velvet, the stiff kind. Not being well-read enough. People thinking I'm not smart. People thinking I want to seem smart. Getting stuck in a conversation I don't want to be in. Talking on the phone. Being spied on through my phone. Being spied on through my computer. Being spied on in real life. Falling into a porta potty. That things perched precariously on tables will fall to the floor. Being ordinary. Dying without achieving anything of note. Having too little empathy for others. Having too much empathy for others and not enough for myself. Being powerless. Gaining a lot of power and then being changed by that power so that I no longer care about others or recognize myself. Ohio children primarily adolescents having a kid and being responsible for keeping that kid alive having a kid who turns out to be a sociopath and then having to decide how to manage that situation having a kid and being persuaded to join the pta having a kid and regretting it not having a kid and regretting it not getting enough done from the to-do list that once everything on the to-do list is done i'll die that tv show criminal minds axe murders and rapists somehow not terrorists or ghosts, wearing stiletto-heeled boots because you can't kick them off if you're being chased, nuclear war, climate change, annihilation of the human species, Uber, that when you're talking to me, you're thinking that something smells, saying something offensive or stupid in front of a bunch of people or one person, dating, having to reject someone, being rejected, new sex, STDs, Finding out the person you're dating is actually a psychopath, but not finding out until you're trapped in a remote cabin in the woods with them. That basically happened already, so really I'm just afraid of it happening again. Never finding true love of the kind they describe in books and movies. Finding true love after having already made a commitment to someone else. Finding true love and becoming boring. Not finding true love and becoming boring. That I might already be boring. That true love doesn't exist. Having to do the same thing for the rest of my life. An overload of novelty. That I don't fully appreciate those I love in the way I should. That I will die before those who love me are ready. That someone I love will die before I'm ready. That one can never be ready. That my fears might keep me alive, yet keep me from living.
1: Okay, next up in the issue, we have my best friend in the world, Jennifer Keel. Um, Her piece is called Dendrochronology, and I hope you enjoy.
0: The tram car I travel in is a rounded pod with windows all around, and is suspended by thick cables that extend from the mountain. It rotates, so depending on where I look, I see either the desert below, inhabited with little colonies of houses existing beside vast stretches of sand, or a close-up of the mountain I currently ascend, a gray fortress that seems to trap the coolness of the day as it does the waterfall set into the rock. Save for the operator, I am alone. My thick black leather boots squeak on the bumpy steel floor beneath me as I shift my feet. It is a suspended journey, a vessel taking me from the heat, from the blinding sun, from the bright potential glass-reflecting desert floor. I escape, stepping out into a world shaded and green. When I can't sleep, this is where I try to take my mind to the old growth, to the lungs of the world. The day is cool and blustery. I wander down a cement path leading me into a meadow filled with yellow-green grass nearly as tall as me, meandering around trees that two of me couldn't fit my arms around. I wander, enjoying the way the brisk air makes my face cold and dewy, the way the needles sound cracking beneath my feet, the way the musty, crisp air makes my lungs feel like lungs. I wander looking for nothing, being nothing, nothing, just here. For a long time, I've liked to imagine myself as a tree. I've done it since I was a little girl. I imagine myself as a California redwood. They don't grow here, but I imagine myself as one nonetheless. I imagine myself growing from the inside out, a little seedling expanding and thriving, my spine a thick core, each year wider and stronger and harder for someone to wrap their arms around. I imagine my roots extending deep and wide, strong, solid, grounded, my roots hugging the whole of the world, overlapping with another beside me, physically entwined with those around me, not needing, but touching, kindred so that even if they cut us down, we remain connected like a skeleton, an inescapable memory of the upright. I imagine myself only needing simple things to soak in nutrients. Water, carbon dioxide, sunlight, and nothing else. A quiet observer of human existence. The world's tallest tree is a California redwood. His name is Hyperion and he's 379.3 feet tall and between 700 and 800 years old. Hyperion is named after one of the 12 titans, children of the earth and sky, mystical and mysterious, which makes sense because there aren't actually a lot of people who know where he is. It's something that's not intended to be revealed. The people who find him and bask in his Not just beauty, but awesome nature are compelled by the altruistic, bound to protect him. It's the ultimate solitude. Necessary because if people knew where he lived, they would carve into him, chop pieces off as souvenirs, climb and destroy this gorgeous living being. I get the irony. Meditation on the corpse of a tree. Our survival is dependent on us living in houses made up of dead matter, but sometimes I really think I hate people, the ones who climb and destroy. The first time I saw a flattened slice of a tree ring and felt the raised rings of hundreds of years, I cried my eyes out. I thought, what would people see if they cored me and examined my rings? Which years would measure fat and which would be drought-filled? Would they bask in the plentiful nature of my love and being loved? Would they weep upon feeling the fractures of my weak years, the physical pain, my broken bones? Would they see my anorexic youth or me laughing, my face stuffed with pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving? Would they feel my stomach churning or the nervous butterflies of a first date? Would they hear my lung being punctured, me wheezing in pain? or exhaling out that musty forest air, needles cracking beneath my feet. I realize that we are all just a combination of good and bad, weak and strong, starving and fed. That thought rings through my life. It pierces my ears and haunts my reverie. So in the end, I always tell myself, Do not worry, do not hate, do not judge, it's just one little ring and there are so many more.
1: Oh, if you're a regular listener to Scout and Birdie, you'll recognize this next artist. It's David Stobie.
0: David is one of our dearest friends, and we're so excited to have him back on Scout and Birdie again. So enjoy his piece, It May Not Be Fine.
7: You are not a jackass or a horse. You are not a stamp or an asset. You are the kid picking up sticks while mama pushes the stroller, collecting your thoughts like a handful of heart. The one lifting the phone to a cavernous ear and calling for help, and I'm so glad you called because you might do something stupid. You are the one with the fiddler's hickey, doing what you do to get you out of bed, which might be baking bread and four types of cheese. Where it's the one time you forgot to take the damn thing out. It's the one time you hadn't set the timer. It's the time you had to sand the toasted walls like a cherry wood table. For being good means practice. Means time and stars. It's nine at night and you're whacking a yellow ball with a racket. Tossing it up. Fiddling with its strings. Listening to the music for your Italian crust and it's fine to lay in the crunchy brown grass under a birchwood tree. Newton did that, and how about them apples? It's fine to look at every leaf and think of the inner life of sparrows, where one is calling for inner peace, and in all the ones and zeros in this world, in its symmetry rigid like a ninety-degree spine, there is totally something ambiguous, lost in translation, and covered in a little-winged universe."
1: Okay, that's the end of the issue.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check out the digital issue at ScoutAndBirdie.com where you can read about the artists and see Ola Klimschak's collection of photos.
1: If you want to stay connected with us, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Scout and Birdie. I'm Anna Wolf.
0: And I'm Jennifer Keel. We're going to play you out with another song from Ryan Deffitt and the Faux Furs called Cycles.
1: We'll see you next for our 10th issue. Home. Bye. Bye.